Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. I'm Sam Harrelson. <laughs> the cleanest We're trying something. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's the cleanest thing we've had in a long time. <laughs> We're trying something a little new this week, and it's it's uh, all in the effort to make this sound as as good as we can, or uh, yeah, as as professional as we can. So, I'm in my podcasting studio in Columbia, South Carolina. Thomas is live from his podcasting studio in Tallahassee, Florida. And if you'd like to support. Our, our podcasting expansion of our studios, you can simply go to patreon.com slash thinking religion and uh, give us $5, give us your money. We'd really appreciate it because a lot of you are listening and not a lot of you are giving. I, I'm not going to be up here like, like the preacher on Sunday <laughs> exactly. morning and say that you're going to hell, but, and, and we actually have a question about hell later, but um, maybe one of my answers will be, you know, if you don't support the things that you uh, you enjoy that give you value in life, maybe, maybe you know, maybe the, the deity has something to say about that. No pressure, but it'd be pretty awesome if, if he could help us out. I mean, we don't really know. We're just saying you don't either. I mean, I'm just speculating, you know. I'm like a Calvinist here. I, I think <laughs> I know. I think I have a pretty good idea. And, and I'm going to go with that. But, yeah, so... Hopefully this sounds okay, and hopefully this doesn't come out on uh, on Friday because it's going to take me all week to edit. I think we're going to be okay, but yeah. So how's how's the new house, Thomas? People want to know. People are very interested uh, the, in yeah, uh, it's in the new place. Yeah, the new house is good. Um, it's you know, as you know, it's a ton of work. Obviously, getting set up. We have uh, family coming to visit this weekend, so um, we're trying to get everything set up and basically less than two weeks and get completely unpacked um which is not probably going to happen completely uh, i think i mentioned last time the the office will be at the last on the list um to my chagrin but you know it's necessary to you know give our visitors a place to sleep so you know it's <laughs> that's what hotels are for there's lots of hotels yeah, in tallahassee like, don't you appreciate the books though like look at the books and the <laughs> The bookcases, you know, all the way around the office here. It's the little library in here. Um, look, look, my lobes. Don't you like my lobes? Right, exactly. <laughs> that will comfort you as you lay on this hard ground and sleep at night. Here, here, have some, uh, have, have some thucydides. That's good for you. Yeah. So, but now it, it's, I mean, it's going well. Um, I'm getting there. Uh, we spent a lot of time last night working in um, on the cottage. So, getting that. Oh, did you? Yeah, getting that. Um, pretty much set up and ready to go almost there so yeah i mean it's it's just great i think i mentioned it last time we have a like in addition to the house we have a cottage which is the one bedroom um cottage in the back and which is just kind of you know fantastic it's the, it's the love shack well yeah it's that yeah. too but when our guests are here it is you know <laughs> to the cottage um yeah. but no it's it's yeah it's really great so that's coming along well um what is are, are you going to airbnb it I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this, um, and I just don't know. We have, uh, right now, there's a portion of it, so there's a portion that's a bedroom, there's a portion that's storage, and a portion that's a bathroom, and we have a lot of stuff in the storage portion that, um, you know, it's just like, we like our space. So we may at some point um, Airbnb it, but I I doubt we will. We just kind of like having our space. We don't really want people hanging around in our stuff. You know? Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. It is, and um, and at least right now we're not. It's not the type of work that we want right now. So, uh, but yeah. we've thought about. It. I mean, especially for game weekends and graduations and stuff. But you know, honestly, it's yeah, that's true. The, yeah. 
it's nice to have the place for you know friends that come in town that are you know used to live here and have moved away uh, or traveling through to be able to offer them a, a place kind of of their own where they can they can stay as well so you know i think we'll pretty much leave it for those purposes yeah yeah well good but it's um well, it is we're all glad it's coming along you know i mean you know what it's like to be a homeowner i'm sure a lot of our listeners do too this is our first uh our first foray into this adventure um but it's good so far you know it's interesting uh, so mariana and i keep keep talking about what we would do if we if and when because i mean we're going to sell this house eventually that was kind of the, the point of moving back here a couple of years ago um and it's like do we buy another house do we take that money and um, live off do the something... grid <laughs> you know that's that's my thing you know you, you can't you can't pay capital gains tax if they can't find you <laughs> you know so um you know we'll, we'll podcast from remote locations and now yeah. um but no you know it's, it's like we, we could move back to western north carolina and rent a really cool house that we can never afford you know right out right out the gate since um you know we we're both in very lucrative careers here <laughs> but um <laughs> I mean, oh gosh, owning a home, especially like we're in a neighborhood and we have not just, you know, tax and insurance and all that stuff, but then there's like homeowner uh, yeah, association HLAs, fees yeah. and, ugh, you know, and it's like, I, I, what do you do for me? <laughs> well, like, yeah, luckily we I, don't have any HOAs, so we, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a total racket. And, and anyway, I'm not going to get into the politics of that, but, um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I'm okay with the rental economy. For, for most things. The, the one thing I cannot abide... So, oh, let me back up. Music, my, my favorite music, I don't mind listening to on Spotify or Google Music or Pandora, whatever. We have subscriptions to all those things. Movies, I, I've got, you know, all the Star Wars movies. I will we'll always have all the Star Wars movies in whatever format is the news format. Right, right now, they're all in Blu-ray. <laughs> um, but, you know, it had VHS and DVD and this and that. Uh, but I don't mind, you know, watching them via Netflix or Hulu or, or streaming or off the back of a truck in Sweden. Like, I don't feel like I need a physical copy of that. Um, mostly the same thing with music. I mean, there's some albums that I really want to have on vinyl because downstairs we like, it's just, you know, all vinyl down there. Um, but the, the one thing I can't rent are books, you know? Right. So like, I, I've got this, yeah, I've got this really nice Kindle. I've got the Kindle Voyage with the neat leather net, uh, leather cover. Marianne's got the new one. I, I don't know why we spent all this money on, on Kindles because we, we never really don't use them. Use right. them. I mean, I, I yeah. Kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't the first edition, you know, it was second or third. There's no gen. speeder. Um, it was before they started getting really fancy, but I was like, oh, this would be really, it was the first Kindle that could read um, PDFs. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, oh, this makes, this is really good. I was in coursework at the time. I can, you know, all these articles that I'm reading, get them ILL, you know, interlibrary loan, and you get them as PDFs, which is nice. So I can, you know, have all these with me. I can take them to class instead of having all these printouts or having to read them on my computer or anything. And I used it for PDFs for a little bit, but, you know, got some books on it. But then I was like, I'm not using this. I, I want a physical book in my hand. And then I also um, started then using a little bit later a PDF uh, annotation app on the iPad that just worked. Uh, so much better because I could add annotations. Um, but no, what I tell people all the time is I'm building a library, right? So, so I want I want digital books, but 
what what I think the the point we need to get to is that when you buy a book, you get the hard copy and you get the digital copy as well. Yeah, exactly. Because for me, well, I want know, the physical book. I'm going to mark in it, and you know, I'm going to take it off the shelf. Uh, nobody can take it. You know, we can't have a Dropbox issue like we had leading up to the show today, <laughs> where it's just <laughs> no. not there anymore. Jeez, and, I haven't even thought about that. There, oh, right, and so don't, you're scared. Um, but then when I travel, I want to have access to my books. And, you know, I don't want to have to, because we've all been there, right? You're traveling, you're like, well, I don't know what books I'm going to need, particularly if you're in the middle of a big research project or something. Uh, or if you do like some people do, and you're going to a conference and finishing the paper, you know, on the way to the conference, um, you don't know what you're going to need. And so you're like, well, I got to take this and this. Well, I should probably take these as well, because I don't know, I might need to reference that. And so you end up with a suitcase full of books, and you might use two of them. And that's not convenient or you know healthy for anybody. And so for those situations, it's really helpful to have a digital book. And then also um, on the digital version, you can search it, which is fantastic. So you can actually find what you're looking for quicker uh, in some cases than you can in a physical book. But I'm not going to give up my physical books, period. Yeah. It's like we need, we need to get back to stone tablets so that when you're traveling, you can just take a, a moleskin notebook like Indiana Jones right. does and do a, like a... Uh, 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 what what is he? He's like the crayon rubbing thing, right? And, exactly, uh, and just copy it that way. Yeah, and just put it in your notebook. And then, there you go. Little, you, you've got yeah, the text. Your, your moleskin carbon copy. Exactly, and and you can go find the uh, the the the, um, the holy grail right there, just from <laughs> that's that all you Latin need. Text. You need a crayon and a moleskin, and that well, will yeah, because the, the people around grail. Jesus were definitely speaking Latin, you know, and writing it down, and they right. spelled Jehovah with a J, right. Uh, that movie. I love it, but it, it gives me problems. But yeah, books. Books are the one things. Uh, the one things. Books are the thing that that I can't like get away from from having a physical copy. Everything else, you know, I'm, I'm like, let's let's rent rental economy. Sounds great. Take my music. Take my take my home. You know, we we can pack it up. I can put everything I really need in my backpack. Yeah, but so so I'm definitely you know not one of the people that thinks. Um, you know, you have to buy. Uh, you know, there are people like, oh, you're throwing away money by renting, which you're, you're like, it's kind of the dumbest argument I've heard, right? You're clearly not. You're paying something and you get something in return. And that's something you get in return is a place to live, which is, you know, a good thing. Um, so I don't think you're throwing away money. You're not building equity, sure. But, you know, that we can talk about that. I do, th- I mean, for most people, the majority of their quote-unquote wealth is in their homes if they own. Um, for us, it was, I mean, we were in an apartment, and so we're obviously ready to get out of that. Um, we're settled now, so we know where we're going to be. Um, and then also, all these other little things that go in with the renting and the lack of control that you have, obviously, of changing the space that you're in. But then also, um, you know, rent increases that are guaranteed basically every year, and, you know, so there are a lot of things like that that I was just ready to be done with. But, you know, I'm, it's not because I, I personally think that renting is a bad decision and purchasing is a better decision. Uh, it's where, you know, it's where we were, where we are and decided this is the right decision for us right now. But, you know, I definitely don't think that that's that's the case for everyone. Yeah, for sure. And it depends, I mean, not, it depends not, on all these other, other factors, too, like what your market is, and which... Yeah, exactly. You know, I compare this market in Tallahassee to the market in Charlotte, for instance, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I could get 
so much more house in Charlotte for the same amount of money. How is this possible? Really? Yeah. The housing market. Charlotte's one of the fastest growing uh, cities in the country. I know, uh, but the housing market here is just, it's overpriced. And I think there are a lot of factors. I think you have uh, a significant number of students, which increases uh, the amount of rent that people can charge. And um, so that affects uh, overall prices. You also have um, the, you know, we're down to our capital city. So we have the legislature here. We have lobbyists here. Um, and we have um, a, a low supply, just a consistently low supply, which also pushes uh, prices up. So the thing that really is missing in Tallahassee is you have um, you have a lot of really, really low priced homes, you know, or a decent amount of homes that are, say, you know, 125 or under. Uh, and then, you know, maybe up to 150. But then if you get past that, and there's not much between the say 150 and 300 350 range um that's pretty slim pickings the supply there is always really low once you get above 300 to 350 the supply is not massive but also the demand is not as large either so you can usually find you know what you're looking for uh within that range but yeah i mean so it's just uh we also have the highest um number of lawyers per capita in the state of florida uh, so I think that may have something to do with it too, right? So you have a, you have this kind of um, concentration of people that make a lot of money and can spend a lot of money, and then a concentration of people on the other end of that spectrum. And so those people that are in between uh, those two ends of the spectrum are kind of caught in the middle and have difficulties, you know, when it comes to the housing market. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, very similar here with that kind of middle range and similar you know uh, capital city as well the difference is um columbia is a a larger city and so oh yeah more supply (laughs) very spread out you have a a lot something Tallahassee doesn't have a lot of are the um kind of like traditional cookie cutter neighborhoods you know they're not there's not a lot of building going on in Tallahassee um and, and when they are they're building at the high end i mean they're building 500 grand and up you know, so that's obviously not for where where most of the buyers are. Huh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because I mean, here it's all it's all new construction for the most part, and yeah, and that's that's one of the biggest things you don't have here in Tallahassee is these huge tracts of new construction. You know, I mean, you go to Charlotte, and I mean, every street you turn down, there's a new neighborhood going up, basically, right? Well, it's not just Charlotte, you know, and you got Fort Mill and Rock Hill, right. and you know, it's cheaper to live in South Carolina, so that side of Charlotte's exploding. I mean, Charlotte basically is in South Carolina. People don't don't realize oh, that. Is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, an, an extension of our state into North Carolina. Um, I, I will say, just anecdotally, um, I guess it was Saturday night, I believe. Uh, I, I went out to do something, like get, get dinner or something. Yeah, I went out to get dinner. Um, and I get in the truck, and, and I'm, I'm backing out the driveway, and I look over to our neighbor's home. And I know they're out of town for a couple of days, like almost a week, because uh, we were going to look after their cat and some stuff. And I see water like pouring out of the garage, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's not a good yeah, sign." That's not good, because <laughs> you know it's pretty dry. It it had rained the day before, but I was like, "There's water coming out of the garage." So I, I get Marianne, and I'm like, "Hey, can you can you text the neighbor and get the code so I can open up the garage?" So I open up the garage, and you know there's some water trickling out. I'm like, mm. so then. 
we, we go into the back door and uh, sure enough, a, a pipe had burst in the kitchen mm. and it, it was at least six inches of water. <laughs> that was just like all over their kitchen into the dining room, into the den that was carpeted into the hallway. And, you know, the poor cat was like on top of the fridge, like, oh my gosh, I need an arc. Um, so anyway, and so I, I go get dinner and come back. I, uh, first of all, I didn't just leave the like, water Man, spraying. that sucks, but I'm really hungry. I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm going to Fazoli's. No, I, <laughs> I, uh, I went, you know, went and got my tool and like cut off the water main and did the, did the nice thing. And so then I went back over after I got the kids to bed and everything and started like scooping the water out with a big squeegee broom thing I have. And I was over there for like an hour and a half and, and got most of the water out and you know, the whole time I'm listening to podcasts and kind of thinking like, yeah, homeownership, this is not what it's all cracked up to be. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Like, maybe maybe the that. Europeans have it correct. <laughs> you know, like build things that last for a long time and pipes that don't burst and, and, uh, and, and go with that route. So, I don't know. So there's that. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're, they're back from uh, from being out of state now and, and they're they're dealing with it. But it's, it's so sad, you know, it's like, right. Your whole life is upended, and uh, you know if you're renting, it's like, well, you know, please come take care of yeah, this. But if you own this. that, yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, so Thomas, uh, you want to do a couple of, of listener questions since we've been preoccupied lately? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, let's do a, a few listener questions. They've got to be good, high quality questions, there, right? Well, I, I'm not going to give the exact question so people don't get offended but i will give generalities around it unless it's really good we've got four here that i've picked out uh if you if you have questions and i meant to put this out on twitter earlier today but if, if you have questions for the panel for us um send us an email or the better option is on twitter i think we both have open dms so you can yep. Slide, slide into those as many people do. <laughs> yeah. uh, Facebook Facebook Messenger. I get lots of questions on Facebook Messenger yeah. from listeners. Uh, as, as our listener base grows, I'm always really not astounded, but like I I would never use Facebook Messenger to write someone I didn't really know. Right. Yeah. Like like Twitter DM. Maybe Twitter. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're already following each other on Twitter, or you know, we're tweeting about the show a lot. Um, right to me that makes a little bit more sense but yeah facebook i mean and we talk to people we talk to listeners on facebook all the time and it's fine but it is interesting because i i I agree i don't think i would have ever thought to do that either yeah but i mean it's it's such a a brave new world it's a force of nature and and please continue i mean i'm not right it's open you know on purpose especially if you're listening to the show we we definitely appreciate that and if you give us five dollars a month you can ask us anything you want we'll we'll talk about it off the air on air whatever after hour show um and, and you get the exclusive feed to the after hour show which is always much better than the real show uh so the first question thomas this goes back a couple of months and oh, i'm trying to think how to frame this we, we've talked about this over the years We've talked about everything over the years. We've been doing this for 10 years now, right? But um, Thomas, <laughs> and I have to answer this question as well. What is your conception of hell? Uh, it's got to be that, <laughs> doesn't it? I was going to boil it down. They, they asked some specifics, but in the interest of time, we don't, we don't have time. And, and often, if you want to get an academic to... Uh, to not go into details, you don't give them a, a rat hole to go down. Right. But instead, you gave me a rat hole. 
That's not a rat hole. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, a huge question. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a good question. So I, I would start by saying that the the traditional uh, conception of hell that I think a lot of people are familiar with this kind of you know burning fire and you've got this like devil guy and he's red and he's got horns and a pitchfork and a tail which is like odd right um like that kind of more traditional conception of hell definitely uh, is strongly influenced by uh, Dante's Inferno I think probably you know our listeners are smart I think most of our listeners probably know that um that is not the conception of hell that I think you know first century uh, followers of Jesus held. I don't think that's the conception of hell that Jesus held. Uh, it's certainly not the conception of hell that we see predominant throughout the Hebrew Bible. Um, and so we see in the Hebrew Bible this concept of Sheol, which is <coughs> excuse me, uh, it's more like um, it's more like kind of the the Greek Hades, right? The the place of the dead. Uh, so there, there's no there's no conception of divine reward and punishment in Sheol. It's just a place that you go. Um, there are we know. I mean, the Hebrew Bible they talk about um, you know obviously people that you would think might be in heaven are in Sheol, and people you think might be in hell are in Sheol. It's just the place where the dead people go. That's it. Um, with once we get to the New Testament, we do start getting. Uh, you know, this talk of Gehenna, which, yes, of course, was a trash heap outside of the city. And, yes, it burned kind of continuously as trash heaps are wont to do. Um, and so that connects some maybe to this kind of, you know, Dantean uh, picture of hell. But to me, the, the most important thing about this when we talk about conceptions of hell is this question of reward and punishment in the afterlife. And it's not a conception that, that really exists um, in the Hebrew Bible, in Judaism, before you get get to um, to some degree, uh, kind of apocalyptic Second Temple Judaism, because it's at that point that people look around and they say, "Well, we're the chosen ones, we're the righteous ones, we're doing all the right things, and we're not getting our just rewards." And we look over here and we see this person doing all the wrong things, and he's not getting his just punishment. So they look around and they say, "I'm not getting my just rewards. The you know they're not getting their just punishment. So it must be that uh, these rewards and punishments will come in the afterlife because they're clearly not coming in this life." And so that's kind of the the seed for what becomes the con- the kind of modern conceptions of heaven and hell, where uh, the good people, the chosen people, um, you know, whomever they get to go to heaven, and the bad people, the people that we don't like, they go to hell. And so we will have this kind of eternal reward in the afterlife and those bad people have eternal punishment in the afterlife. Obviously, um, early Christians do pick up on this conception among, you know, the myriad of other things that they take from second temple Judaism. This is one of those things. And, and, and so it, it is kind of really solidly in, you know, I think kind of the, the early Christian, uh, imagination. <clears throat> Um, it is not something that I personally accept, though. I, I think it's it, it it makes sense as a way to understand the world and to try to make sense of the reality of the world that we live in, where people who we may think deserve reward don't get it, and people we 
may think deserve punishment seem to get reward instead. Um, but I, I don't think that that that's not how I that's not what I think is going to happen after we all die. What what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> I know that's the next question. <laughs> I'm doing my Sam Harris impersonation. Um, I know. Tom, Thomas, um, what, what do you think? And that I don't happen? know, but that <laughs> sorry. Um, I don't know, but I'm also not really concerned with that. Would you say that's that's from a religious perspective or, or like a philosophical, ethical perspective that you don't have that concern? I mean, both, really. Um, I mean, obviously, from kind of an ethical, philosophical perspective, I understand kind of like where these conceptions, what their root is, and understanding that is part of why I I don't really think that's how it's going to happen because um, it just makes so much sense that that's how we conceived that it would happen. Um, but from a religious perspective, I also don't um, believe that. I don't know. I mean, I, I just think it's not it's not necessary. And I think it is at the end of the day, it's just another way for us to draw boundaries. Right. And to say that, you know, we're in uh, and you're not. I mean, I think there's a boundary component to it, of course, but I, like a, a reward for doing good type thing right but i also think there's uh like an epistemological um component to that as well where you want to have a glimpse into that that great beyond or you know whatever christian hymn you want to use um because it because it it is scary to to ponder the finite you know it's it's maddening to look out into the stars and realize that we're just a, a, a mode of dust, you know, in God's eye or, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, you, you can go the Carl Sagan route and say it's a pale blue dot. And, you know, here's Voyager 2 looking back at Earth and it's not a whole lot there, you know, like it, it's a rock. It's got some H2O and um, we, we were fortunate enough to evolve into the situation where we are, where we can sort of ponder our, our own experience. And some of us do that more than others based on our IQ president trump uh <laughs> but uh, to a lot of people that's even in 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 the 21st century where humans are are far far better off than they've ever been and i know lots of people suffer and lots of people are hurting i understand that i don't want to be normative and you know uh culturally appropriate or anything like that but for the most part when you look at you know birth rates death rates uh, the amount of people who have a sustainable living, the amount of people who have food access, that, that type of stuff. Humanity as a whole is much better off than it was 100, 200, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. And when we talk about things like culture and society and how those perspectives of security play into our own um, kind of, uh, I guess, religious worldviews of who we are and, and what we're doing in this cosmos, as we've learned more and more about science, as, as we've learned more and more about the universe, and we continue to do that, we, on the other hand, minimize the, the, the I guess, the necessary relativism of, of our own experiences, and, and we want to believe that there's a personal Lord and Savior who's going to grab us by the arm and, uh, you know, and yank us up into heaven and make sure that, that we're okay for all of eternity. And 
whether you're you're in a, a mainstream Presbyterian church or an Anglican church or a Lutheran church or a Baptist church, you're going to hear those same hymns that that give that promise. So I, I've always thought it's interesting, not not just from a kind of a reward system point of view, but like from um, a, a subjective point of view, how Christians have appropriated the afterlife into something that's not just a, a, a you know reward for doing well, but but also a a promise that if you abide by the way things should be here, then you're going to be taken care of for the rest of eternity. Because even in, you know, if you're Dante in the, in the 13 and 1400s, um, you know, and you're running around Italy and you're trying to figure out, you know, what is purgatory, what, what is the paradise, what is hell, what is the inferno, um, to not just reflect upon what the Romans were going through, but to also reflect upon what, at that time, modern, you know, quasi-Europeans were going through. Um, and, and the clash of cultures that were happening with, with the Arab world and, and all of those variables that are involved. And now in our, in our modern context, so, you, you know, you get this strange kind of preoccupation with the afterlife. Um, when you're talking about hell specifically, I would urge people, I, I'm, I'm not a complete huge fan of, of this person, but um, Jeffrey Barton Russell, have, have you ever read his his stuff? He's uh, he, he was at Berkeley for a long time, I believe. No, no, Santa Barbara. You, yeah, you see Santa Barbara, but he, he taught at, at Harvard and Notre Dame and some other places. Um, read a couple of books that were really influential for me in, in terms of identifying like what you're talking about, Thomas, with with the conception of this you know, demon named Satan or the devil or Mephistopheles. So one of his books is called The Devil, and uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Amazon um, side of things. But it's The Devil, Perceptions of Evil from Antiquity to Primitive Christianity. And that was put out by Cornell back in 1987. Um, I took a, a senior seminar when I was an under, undergrad on Satan, and we read three of his books, and, and that one was really impactful for me. And I haven't read it in the last few years, but it did help me kind of process my Southern baptism <laughs> of theology. Uh, and his, the other book I, I recommend by him, which I'm actually going back through now, because um, I had a, a church friend that was reading this, uh, Mephistopheles, and it's The Devil in the Modern World, and that came out in 1990. So it's, you know, a little dated, but it's, it's I think it's pretty fun, and it, it's approachable. There are not a lot of footnotes. It's, it's pretty straight through. He writes a lot about... Uh, there's one called Lucifer, one called Satan. He writes a uh, uh, history of w- witchcraft. So, you know, he, this is kind of his specialty. And my professors at, at Wofford were very high on him. So I <laughs> figured can be can be too bad. Um, but yeah, it, it, it really does kind of do a cross cultural He does a cross-cultural comparison of some of those conceptions of, of Satan and tying into, you know, what was happening in the ancient world. Uh, I, it, Again, very general, very you know stereotypical how I'm phrasing it, but he does a much better job of the nuance involved. Um, so, anyway, I hope I, I don't I don't offend anyone by recommending recommending his stuff. But I think if you're and I know who, who you are who asked this question, I I think if I'm in your position, uh, pick up a couple of, of his books. Um, don't go the Rob Bell route. Can I say that? 
Yes, you can absolutely say that. I definitely don't get the Rob Bell wrong. You know, I mean, I, I get it, and and I'm glad he he foisted that thing and or that that position into, I guess, conservative evangelical circles. That the conversation, if you will, I don't think it's much of a conversation there. I think it's either, yay, Rob Bell, he plays guitar, or either, well, you know, he, he he's a heretic, you know, like. Right. right. I don't think but you're he, uncovering any stones there. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about him before and why I'm not a fan of his, so we don't need to get into that this evening. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think that's all. Those are good suggestions. Um, and, but I think you're right. I mean, obviously, the the central concern is, well, what happens to me after I die? And that that's a legitimate. It's a completely legitimate question for people to have. Um, I just happen to be much more interested in what are we doing now while we're alive. And, you know, for a lot of people, it, they're, they're, you know, you've heard it said before, probably, you probably have, some of our listeners may have too, uh, you know, somebody's so heavenly minded, and they're no earthly good. Um, and, and I think that can kind of work, you know, both ways as well, where you're concerned about what do I have to do to get my ticket so I can get in or make sure that I don't go to that other place. Uh, and that's all you're concerned with. You're not concerned with, um, you know, like actually making people's lives better here or addressing, you know, systemic racism or addressing the poverty that's right outside your door or anything like that. Um, and I don't know. I just, I just, I'm just at a place in my life now. I don't have a lot of patience for that. Yeah. One, one of my, my main frustrations is when someone dies, especially if I know them and it was kind of a, you know, a early death or a surprise death and Someone says, well, they're, they're with the Lord or, you know, or the obituary starts with, you know, Sam went to be with the with his Lord today. And it, that's not biblical. And that's not comforting to me. I, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but that's a very selfish way to appropriate death. Man, we could do a whole show on what not to say when somebody dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we should. I mean, it, we, we get these questions all the time of, well, you know, how does your faith, and, and they're very personal questions, and, and we're not going to go into that tonight because we don't have time, but, um, you know, we, we always get those questions of people asking, you know, what do you think about the afterlife? What do you think about heaven? What do you think about hell? So it's 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 always nice to um, have that reminder that, that people want to hear that, that side of things. <laughs> all right. Yeah, there's also the reminder that at least that we're not your pastor, if that's what you're looking for. Um, maybe Sam could be your pastor, but I can definitely not be your pastor. So. <laughs> you have an MDiv. I can ordain you. Yeah, yeah, I do have an MDiv. I've laid hands upon you, Thomas. <laughs> well. <laughs> there was that time in Savannah. Now, I didn't think we were going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's on the after show. $5. There was that time in Savannah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's see. We have time for another question. Let's do one more. All right, let me. Uh, I had to write these down because I had them in a. Uh, anyway, um, let's see. These are all like really broad. I'm so used to asking like nuanced, you know, <laughs> kind of focused things. Um, okay, let's let's broaden this one out um thomas how would you um 
and they're all very personal questions too. So I'm trying not to... Right, I know. I'm realizing because I, I know the, how uh, the people want to know. They they do they do they they. Well, you know, there's there's like how do you interface with your your partners based on your your own fates? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not going to talk about that on this show. You don't know me, man. Um, well, if you yeah, give nobody us $5. nobody's like, can can you explain to me what the Carpocrations thought about you know transmigration of souls? That's well, the question I want. I want so, to that question. Okay, th- there is one that's kind of like that, and it's it's a. Um, I'm going to reframe it a little bit just to kind of flow with that. And, and you know who you are who asked this question. How did you get into the um, the interest that you have? And, I mean, they asked both of us, but, like, what is what was it about uh, early Christianities that uh, attracted you as, as someone who poured years and years and years of your life into this study? And, you know, why is that important to you? Or, or is it still important to you? Uh, no, it's it certainly definitely still is. I mean, for me, as I look back on it now, um, the answer seems kind of simple. I mean, I grew up in church, so I grew up interested in religion. Uh, you know, I thought from kind of early teen years I was going to be a pastor. So, I'm, you know, it just made sense. Like, you go to school. Uh, I was going to be I was a business major because you know I thought, oh, we need more pastors with business with good business sense, which I still believe, by the way. Um, but that didn't last long. I changed my major, uh, became a religious studies major. And, um, you know, it was like, well, I'm just, you know, planning to go to, you know, seminary or divinity school and, you know, going to go work in a church. I was already working at a church. Um, and so for me, it was kind of natural. At least part of it was natural because of how I grew up and what I thought I was going to do with my life. Um, but I became particularly interested in the kind of conceptions of heresy and orthodoxy, uh, which is, you know, at, at the root of everything I, I did kind of from my early graduate school days on was kind of around these questions of boundaries, which obviously I talk about on the show a lot um, because I was changing a lot, as you know, and if you know anybody that's been to seminary or divinity school, that happens. Um, you change a lot. <laughs> a lot of people change in ways that you'd be surprised that your pastors changed in div school. Uh, the problem is a lot of them just kind of revert back to where they were when they started, so they didn't actually learn learn a whole lot. Um, there are so many keg stands in div school, you would not believe you it. You don't even know. Okay. Um, so anyway, but yeah, no. So as I changed and and you know was you know questioning some things and coming down with you know different perspectives or beliefs on certain things, um, I got questions. And, and one I one um, that's you know stands out to me pretty strongly. Um, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details about the situation, but basically the question was, how can you call yourself a Christian? And um, that's in a lot of ways been the question that I've continued to research uh, since that moment is how did various early Christian groups you know, identify as Christian? And then how did others, uh, more importantly, mostly what I was interested in, how did others try to take that identity away from them? How did they dispute those claims? How did they work to say, actually, we're the true Christians and you're not, and here's why? Um, so that's largely what I was interested in. And then obviously, I mean, sex is interesting. So I kind of started mixing sex in with that, which is always a good practice, right? Just add sex. And <laughs> this is like a George um, Michaels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sex is interesting. Sex is fun. Remember so, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I want your sex. Yes. Wait, what was that? 1989. I want your sex. That sounds right. Yeah, sorry. 
Sorry. But I'm not as big of a George Michael fan as you are. So. You know, it, it was a, you know, he, he was, know. It was the boy, boy of the 80s. I'm, I'm going to yeah. mute myself now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, kind of through sex in there. And so, you know, kind of how are these claims being um, leveled uh, kind of on a sexual level, you know, sexual slander? And, and how are we slandering other groups by means of, you know, sex, you know, sexual acts, sexuality? Um, you know, how are we using that to kind of hold up our own, you know, what we understand to be our own orthodoxy and someone else's heresy. Um, so, yeah, so as I look back at it now, kind of later in my life, I realize a, a lot of these factors that, that influenced um, my decision. And because early on, I was the person drawing the boundaries, you know, very clearly and starkly and adamantly and unapologetically, I was the person drawing the boundaries. Um, and then when I began to realize that, like, oh, hey, there actually were a lot of early Christians who, like, thought other things about Jesus. Like, yeah. who yeah. knew? Because I certainly didn't learn that growing up in church. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that's kind of the the seeds for me that, that blossomed into, you know, whatever it is that I did with my life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you think you'll ever go back? To being that more, con- you know, how, uh, what was the Winston Churchill quote? Like when you're in your when you're twenties, if you don't, if you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. And when you're forty and above, you know, if you're not conservative, you don't have a brain. And, and I, I definitely feel that. I, right. I mean, I, I can't say things like, "Hey, your eyebrows are on fleek," or "Stay woke, y'all," because I'm appropriating, <laughs> you know, someone else's generational and and you know, demographic culture. And that's not appropriate for me to, to hop into necessarily. Um, I, I am wearing black fans and Levi 501s and a black t-shirt, but that's what I wore in the nineties for 30 years. Exactly. Right? So if you, if, um, if you want to judge me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you think as you get older that, that you'll kind of refine what it was about that, that more conservative experience that drove you? I don't know. I, what I know is that, when we were in div school, um, a lot of us were, you know, moving to the left as it were. And a lot of people told a lot of us like, well, that, you know, that's fine. Yeah, this, this happens, but you know, kind of you're on a pendulum and you'll, you'll swing back. Um, and for a lot of people, I've watched that happen since they left div school and, you know, went on church staffs and some didn't, some ended up in other, um, you know, fields, uh, for a lot of people I've seen that happen. But at the time, I was pretty convinced it wasn't going to happen to me. And the reality is I've continued to move left. Like, I, I haven't swung back at all. Um, maybe that's bad, you know, whatever. Um, maybe that's just, you know, a more clear sign that I'm going to go to hell if it exists. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that that, honestly, that's just kind of, it's a condescending thing, right? It's just another example of... Uh, well, you know, kids these days, if they only knew what I had to do growing up and well, that, that, okay, that's fine. I understand that. I mean, there are a lot of ways in which I think, oh yeah, I mean, high school kids, college students are dealing with vastly different things than I dealt with when I was their age and I'm not that much older than them. But I also think like how smug, right? How arrogant to think that what may have been your personal experience is the only acceptable experience for people to have in life. I mean, there are plenty of, there are fewer people who are very, very liberal growing up and then become very conservative when they're younger. I mean, you can uh, surmise your own reasons for that. Uh, And there are a lot of people that do grow up and kind of in college 
you know, get more liberal because they have all these crazy, you know, philosophical ideas. They're, you know, asking and then get more conservative after that because of life experiences or whatever. And that's fine. That's a perfectly legitimate route and experience to have. Um, but I have not yet, uh, since I started my leftward move, um, tacked back to the center really at all. And, and, I'm, and I'm speaking in the terms that we kind of understand I mean, like left and right are all relative, liberal and conservative, moderate. These are all relative terms. They have no solid meaning that, you know, they have no stable meaning. We're all just making it up as we go along. So something I used to say a lot that I thought was clever, and I know I'm not the first one that came up with it, was I'm not liberal. I'm just left of you. And that was true for most people that I talked to. I was just left of them. Um, so, I mean, I suppose there's always a chance, but honestly, I don't know, like, the idea, I guess, is that there are no liberal old people, but that's just not true. I know a ton of liberal old people. And my own experience with, you know, my parents, for instance, was, you know, watching them uh, move left as well. Certainly not as far left as me, and that's fine. But, um, you know, my dad was certainly more, quote unquote, liberal uh, at 72 than he was at 32. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I think I think part of that is it's that generational divide that you get when as you get older, you, you realize, or I mean, like me, like I remember 26 and I'm going to be 40 next year, you know, and soon like that's a big gap. And it, yeah. it, it's like, wow, those 26 year olds are really threatening because they, they talk differently than me. Yeah. You could be their dad. <laughs> I could be their father. Uh, they, they use technology differently than I do. They, they, they drive differently than I do. They have a complete, you know, not complete, but they have a different worldview in many ways. Just like, I, I mean, my parents were really young. So, you know, my mom was 20 and my dad was 24 when they had me. Um, so I, I remember my mom turning 30, you know, and, and I always felt like I had a, 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 a different connection with my parents than my friends did with their parents. Right. As a result. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I I feel like as you turn that curve around forty, you definitely start getting into the, um, well, you know, maybe uh, maybe I need to start, you know, holding more tightly onto what I have because those young people are going to come come take it away from me, type thing. But I I think most of that's based out of fear, and it's it's that same epistemological fear, I think, or or um, kind of a. I don't want to go into Kierkegaard, but you know that, that same type of fear that you have about about dying and, and death um, and sickness uh, that that's that really kind of starts gripping you as you realize, okay, I might or might not have had a couple of kids, but I've influenced some young people. I've done what I needed to to do, like biologically, and I'm just kind of here collecting dust and taking up resources and. I, I need to share something of my mind in order to be valuable. And that's, that's hard and that's threatening. Um, some yeah, people, I think uh, some people yeah. retreat and some people embrace that, you know, and that's when you get the crazy college professor, you know, who's 60, 65 and, and wears the, the tweet jacket and <laughs> just earned tenure. Oh no, no, <laughs> that's my generation of <laughs> academics. Just, just, just get their $45,000, uh, Exactly. You know, salary after making thirty-two thousand dollars for years and years. Um, 
just just escaped you know being an adjunct at three community colleges right, to exactly. finally being a full professor yeah right at the time they reach retirement age yeah um yeah. no i i think that's i think that's right for some people um i mean one of the larger issues here is and i'm of course playing into it but the conceptions that we have of kind of liberal and conservative um because there are a lot of issues that you know we may hold a position you know position x that to you may be very liberal and and to me may be very conservative and i don't don't know i mean we're not going to get rid of those labels i know we're not but you know i think about um you know my friends that live in europe and they're like oh you're like your democrats are our conservatives it's like yeah i I know (laughs) right maybe that's a little bit of an issue here but um you know the the, just, just that we have to plot everything in a continuum um and I don't know. I think if we could get away from that, at least some of this, um, I, I think we could we could get rid of, right? Um, so it's not that like, oh, you're liberal when you're young, you get conservative when you're old. Um, and, and some of it is just natural. I, I think you're right about kind of just generations where um, you may not have changed your views at all, but, you know, in large part society around you has changed. And so you have as a result, become more conservative because a lot of people around you have, you know, are now accepting, uh, you know, worldviews or beliefs that are maybe less conservative. Uh, and that happens. You haven't changed at all. You haven't, you know, swung in the pendulum back to the right or anything like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the experience that a lot of people have. For me, the biggest problem I had with that idea of like a pendulum and, and well, yeah, you're kind of far left now, but like you'll come back is that that is the it's the right place to be. It's the natural place to be. Um, and that I obviously vehemently disagree with. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, see, see how this continues to, to evolve. Because I, I think the baby boomer generation, again, not to use labels, but, you know, like like the Johnny Carson, Sammy Davis Jr., Bob Hope, you know, World War II, Greatest Generation group had mm-hmm. such a, a sway on culture and society and outlooks and expectations. And I, I think down to religion and, and down to things like yeah. college and university. And we like to think, well, the Beatles came along and in 1964 they hit the U.S. and all of a sudden the young people were in charge from there on out. And, you know, it, it was those, uh, those young people in the 60s that really changed culture. And to some extent, maybe – but then you look at the 1980s with the uppies, and you know that was right. the young people that we thought were going to change the world. Um, they they got a little bit of their own, and they were like, "Oh, this is actually pretty nice." <laughs> like, wow, we we got these huge brick uh, cell phones, and and Wall Street, <laughs> right. Wall Street's a good thing. Um, you know, so I, I I think that generation had such a sway over American or you know United States culture and and. Uh, perceptions as things like radio and tv and broadcast media kind of homogenized uh, you know our society to some extent i mean yes we have fringes but um so so now i i think we're kind of at a, at a reset point maybe i don't know it, it feels it feels different with donald trump um everything does it does you know it, it doesn't feel like a new normal because i don't think people are going to stand for this I don't, I don't think people are going to say it's okay to have someone like donald trump at, at that point, and I'm going to talk about Donald Trump, but like that type of 
throwback theology and throwback politic. Like, we, we don't want Otto von Bismarck back in the White House because, you know, 1879 was all cool and all, but we're not Prussia. You know, so so let's let's really reevaluate what we're doing. And I think as as younger people come along here, um, you know, they're going to they're going to use their passions and, and what turned them on to, um, you know, uh, whether it's Black Lives Matter or, or the, you know, stay woke thing, you know, whatever, whatever your your passion is. I think that conception is going to be a little different in the future and, and impact politics. I think you're right. Yeah, um, I, whether that change is different from the changes that kind of we previous generational cultural changes we've had, I'm not sure. I mean, it's different. Obviously, well, I mean, but you think about things like technology. You know, whether it's, I mean, yes, mobile devices, but we're in for a hell of a shock in the next ten years. You know, when it comes to disruption of of entire industries. Right. I mean, when Apple gets rid of the notch. <laughs> When Elon Musk gets rid of, you know, commuting, <laughs> um, you know, like like the, the idea that it, it, within our lifetime, even, we're going to see things like battery packs in our homes and, and solar panels that, that are incredibly efficient that completely revolutionize the electrical grid. And the way we think about computing with AR and VR and, um, you know, interacting with each other, but also the the restrictions that are are placed on us now in this generational gap between the people that grew up with TV and radio and having three channels of TV and having you know maybe five radio stations on the radio to the group now that has access to so much more information and if you say something like oh well the United States is the most taxed country in the world someone can immediately ask Google if sorry <laughs> If, if you know, that's true, and, and the answer is no. So you, you get this immediate kind of fact-checkness that I, I think previous generations are going to have to grapple with. Um, anyway, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, in, in how we think, what we think, and why we think that. So tell us your, um, your thoughts and fears about what will happen to you after you die. <laughs> Share it with us. Send us emails. Um, slide into our DMs and hit us up on facebook messenger um yeah i mean i I do think that it's interesting and and you did a good job picking the questions they uh dovetailed nicely with each other yeah i was trying to make Um, that flow and that was hard yeah yeah i mean this is professional ladies and gentlemen don't try this at home patreon.com slash thinking religion uh if you do want to get in touch (laughs) as always you know how to do that uh the best place is on twitter sam's at sam harrelson i'm at thomas whitley you can always find this great podcast at thinking.fm